0: If you've ever encountered someone with Down syndrome, you know that they are some of the kindest, most joyful people you will ever meet. They truly have something extra. My name is Lisa Nichols, and I have spent the last 24 years as both the CEO of Technology Partners and as the mother to Allie. Allie has something extra in every sense of the word have been blessed to be by her side as she impacts everyone she meets. Through these two important roles as CEO and Mother to Ali, I have witnessed countless life lessons that have fundamentally changed the way I look at the world. While you may not have an extra chromosome, every leader has something extra that defines who you are. Join me as I explore the something extra in leaders from all walks of life and discover how that difference in each of them has made a difference in their companies, their families, their communities, and in themselves. I am so excited to have Jeff Johnson on the show today. Jeff is a fourth-generation CEO and owner of Johnson Machine Works. Jeff. I am so glad that this worked out for us, you know, to get together today, and I have come to just admire you and and consider you one of my good friends, and I'm just excited to be here with you today.
1: Well, I'm grateful you asked me. (laughs) Good (laughs) to be here, too.
0: Okay, well, let's get going. Uh, We've got a lot of things to talk about, so give me the quick version of your growing up, if you would.
1: Well, I grew up in... Sheraton, Iowa, small town of about 4,000 people, about 60 miles south of Des Moines, and grew up in a nice home with wonderful parents and um, in a family business with a wonderful older sister. And dogs and cats, and all that kind of good stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's talk about that just a little bit. Now, you went to, you're a Hawkeye, aren't you?
1: I am. Go Hawks. Yep. (laughs) University of Iowa.
0: (laughs) Very good. And you have a, what, a BS in mechanical engineering. I
1: did. I started off in the English route, and then I switched partway through, and I got a bachelor's of science in mechanical engineering.
0: Mm -hmm. The thing that I really, I want to dive into that I find so interesting The name of your company is Johnson Machine Works, Mm -hmm. and you are fourth generation. Yes. Your great-grandfather started this company. Yes. So I am really curious, as a little boy, were you there? I mean, in the plant, I mean, were you around this your whole life? I mean, tell us a little bit about that, and then I want to talk about the baton handoff and, and some of the lessons learned there.
1: I did. I grew up, I mean, Sheraton's a small town, of course, and the business growing up, Well, still employs about 100 people, a couple hundred thousand square foot facility, and uh, we do big heavy steel fabrication. So what little boy wouldn't want to be around sparks flying and (laughs) grinder dust and loud noises and all that stuff? So I really did grow up in it. You know, we have a big shot and grit blast machine that throws these tiny granules at the steel to take away the rust scale and give it a good profile for paint coats. And that was kind of my sandbox when I was a kid. Uh-huh. So you'd go run around the plant, and it was like a kid in a candy
0: store. So tell me a little bit about the history of Johnson Machine Works, because I think you, you guys know. started out with helping farmers with their machines, but then you've morphed and evolved into other things now.
1: We did. So the the business is 112 years old and been in my family since 1907. Our origins date back to my great-grandfather, David, had been recruited from the town of Waterloo, Iowa. He was a machinist for the railroad there. And he had three other brothers that were doing general construction work in the town of Sheraton. And they needed somebody that was able to do repair work for farmers and work with steel and machining work, that sort of thing. So they recruited their brother. He came back to Sheraton. Shortly after he did that, the business burnt to the ground and the three other brothers scattered. They got out of town, but my great-grandfather built the business back up again. Just had two employees, but really made a name for himself and was just industrious, real hardworking guy, just with a couple people and had a wife and a couple of sons and a daughter. And when my grandfather was a senior in high school, my great-grandfather, David, passed away ruptured appendix and that sort of thing, and my grandfather had to drop out of high school and take over the family business.
0: At 18 or 19 years old? At
1: 18 years old, and he always said that the people at Sheraton High School gave him his diploma out of the kindness of their heart because he wasn't able to finish doing any of the work. (laughs) But he was a real self-taught engineer, Mm -hmm. and so the business was very small, just doing farm repair work, that sort of thing. Not really a lucrative, super successful business, having, Mm -hmm. you know, in the midst of the Great Depression and all that sort of thing, it was tough times. Right, right. But like I said, he had a family to take care of and a mother to take care of. So he taught himself how to fabricate steel for bridges. And went ahead and took a chance and got a bid on a contract and won it. Got a carload of steel, fabricated the bridge that was successful. And that led to one more project, and one more project, and one more project. And the business kind of just grew organically. Mm-hmm. Then, when World War II rolled around, the company had about 50 employees and had really developed a really strong reputation. You know, that was quite a bit of growth in that 20 year span. Sure. Uh, But World War II rolled around, and we won contracts for the war effort, steel buoys that marked the ports and and the beaches, Mm -hmm. LSM-2 ship hulls, and depth charge release tracks for destroyers and some of this big, heavy steel equipment. My grandfather had to triple the size of the business overnight, so we went from 50 employees to 150 employees. Was very successful with that work, and so we won something called the E Award, for excellence during wartime construction for the war effort. Uh, uh, that's... And 1% of all the wartime contractors won that award. So we were in good company, like with Pfizer for penicillin mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Hershey for the Hershey bars mm-hmm. and Andrew Higgins with the Higgins Boats. And so once we got that kind of a claim, then the doors opened up for a bigger steel fabrication projects.
0: That is just what a phenomenal story that your grandfather was 18 years old. He had to grow up fast, didn't he, Jeff? He did. And he he was self-taught, but did he ever go and get like formal business training or anything? I mean, he had to learn a lot in a very short period of time, but obviously he did it.
1: (laughs) Well, he, he no formal business training. I mean, he learned that. On the job. On the job. But I remember after I got my bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, I went to Iowa State University. I was starting to work for the company at the time, but I was interested in getting a master's degree in structural engineering. And the dean of the school at the time knew my grandfather. And he told me, very generous of him, he said, Jeff, you can come stop work and come and I will be your advisor and I'll work with you to get this master's degree. Or you can do what your grandfather did And just buy the books and read them. And you won't have the piece of paper, but you'll have all the knowledge. Right. And that was really insightful, and it gave me a lot of newfound respect, respect for my grandpa, for your
0: grandfather because that's what right. he did.
1: He was just an avid reader, and he just taught himself.
0: He was a he was a lifelong learner, and that's so important, isn't yeah. it? So did you get the paper, or did you get the books?
1: I didn't. I just got the books. You just got, I just the, got books. the books, yeah. Yeah, well,
0: but it worked for your grandfather, right? right. So, so then at some point, your dad took over the business, and then at the age of 30, which I think is still phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You took over the business. So talk to us about when your dad passed the baton to you. You were only 30. What are some of the lessons learned there? I mean, what are some of the things that, you know, you would tell maybe there's a, um, someone that may be taking over their business? You know, can you talk about that a little bit?
1: A couple things come to mind. First and foremost, I was really young when I took over the company and that was the catalyst for me taking over the business was because my the parents marriage had unfortunately dissolved and you know there was a lot of stress and people were worried about other things mm-hmm. and so it was time for my dad to exit the business he just wanted to not worry about that mm-hmm. anymore mm-hmm. and we had an outside board at the time that was actively engaged in looking for his replacement and i really felt compelled to raise my hand and say hey give me a shot
2: mm-hmm.
1: So one of the lessons is, if you want something, you have to ask for it. Go ahead and be bold. And if you have that tiger in the tank and there's Mm -hmm. something that's really percolating, go for it. Speak up. Go for it. Right. So that was one thing that really comes to mind about encouraging people to be bold with their instincts and where they feel like they're being led. Also, it was a tremendous shot of confidence that my father was willing to do that. That taught me a lot, that he had confidence in me to say, yeah, I think my son can Jeff can, can do, do this.
2: this. Right, even though
1: he knew I had a lot of learning on the job mm-hmm, to do. Mm-hmm. Him putting faith in me like that gave me you some a lot. courage. And I'm it sure. reminds me how much faith I need to put in other people yes. and what that can do.
2: Yes.
0: Yes. So talk about that a little bit. So talk about how do you set this up? I mean, you've got four children, and it can be one of your girls or it can be one of the boys. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Hey, it could be. Anybody, anybody, right?
1: Absolutely. But
0: how do you how do you leave a legacy? How do you set it up for a potential fifth generation? And I know you well enough to know you are an awesome father. You are an awesome dad. You put a lot into your family, Jeff. Your family is very important to you. The you know most important thing next to God, right? Yes,
1: yes. Maybe I'd talk about our our wellness practices at Johnson Machine Works as an analogy for. Legacy planning. Okay. So our wellness practices at Johnson Machine Works are about physical wellness, biometric screening. If you want to run a triathlon, we can connect you with a coach and do that sort of thing. Financial wellness. So we pay our employees to go through Financial Peace University. Do you? And you kind go of, through oh Dave yeah. Ramsey's yep.
0: program? Yep. Awesome. And
1: we incentivize and do all that sort of thing. And the other one is spiritual wellness. So we have chaplains at our business, and we're very active with marketplace chaplains Mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing. So those are kind of three pieces of the pie. Mm -hmm. And my philosophy with wellness practices is it's not for the people that need it, it's for the people that want it. So I really Mm -hmm. see my job as a CEO that I'm supposed to set the table and then let people rise and let people decide this is what I want. I want to take advantage of that. I want to take advantage of this.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So with that being a little bit of an analogy for legacy planning, you know, it's tough with the fourth generation business because you're going to have children that feel like they have to instead of that they get to. Right. And I don't want my children to feel like they have to. Right. So I feel like my responsibility is just to very clearly set Set the the table and say, if this is something that you'd be interested in, if this is where God has directed your life, if this is where your drive is, then you can come do this. But you can go elsewhere, too. Mm -hmm. So I I let them see my ups and downs and everything that's going on with the business. And Mm -hmm. if it's something that they're attracted to, then they're welcome to come in.
0: Right. I love that. That is such great advice. I love the analogy. That is one thing I have come to appreciate about you, Jeff. You are awesome Uh, with the analogies (laughs) I say all the time. You take the ordinary things of life, and you always find the lesson there. And I love that about you. So let's talk about, you have been on a sobriety journey now Mm -hmm. for what, 27 years?
1: 27 years.
0: Yeah. yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that?
1: So I'm 51 years old now. So 27 years. So I've been sober more than half of my life. Mm -hmm. And... First thing I'll say is I was a volunteer for everything, every bad choice that I made.
0: <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> Nothing
1: funny. was forced right, nothing on was me. Nothing was forced on I didn't you. have any kind of genetic problem or anything mm-hmm. like that. This was, you know, I was making bad choices. And they were to deal with very real issues, but mm-hmm. they were bad choices and they were my choices. But I did sober up when I was in, in college. My first two-thirds of my college career was a little bit of a... A blur. A little bit of Maybe. a blur, yeah.
0: <laughs> right. But
1: I finished strong. And when I sobered up, I started to learn lessons on how to live life on life's terms. I, I learned how to deal with bumps in the road and things that were baffling to me before, but now mm-hmm. the solutions became intuitive. I learned how to let go of things. Oh. I learned how to, how to relax, not beat myself up so much. I learned how to forgive a lot of that kind of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, you have a management philosophy today, mm-hmm. right? Has that always been your management philosophy? Or did this journey somehow influence that?
1: Yeah, my management philosophy is you need to give it away to keep it. And that comes directly from my recovery journey. Because, um, you know, you always heard people say, if you want to really learn something, you need to teach it. Yes. You know, that sort of thing. It's the same kind of concept, the same kind of idea. I'm not here living this life just so that I can buy more stuff and eat more groceries. You know, I want to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and to my fellows. Mm -hmm. And so I need to be giving away the good stuff that I've been given. And my sobriety has refunded me a life that I never could have imagined. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very much about supporting other people. I'm very much about giving other people autonomy in their decision-making process. I'm very much about encouraging other people. And that comes straight from the recovery stuff. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Jeff Johnson. (laughs) Let's face it, the future is mobile. There's a good chance that you are listening to this show right now on your phone. Have you explored how you can move your business mobile too? Our mobile apps team at Technology Partners makes it their mission to move our clients into the hands of their employees and customers and change their business processes to meet the demands of their users. Let's work together and build a dynamic mobile app for your team. Go to tpi.co slash mobile apps and get the conversation started about how we can help you get your new application off the ground. So, Jeff, I want to talk a little bit about company culture Mm -hmm. and how important that is. You know, the old management guru, Peter Drucker, right, said culture will eat strategy for breakfast. And I know that you guys have worked very hard at building a strong company culture. And I want you to talk about that just a little bit.
1: I love talking about that. We're very much a family We're just family-oriented. I mean, we're a family business, Mm -hmm. so that kind of sets the table. But we're a small group as well, so we're 100 employees roughly. And it's good that we know each other and that we stay close together and that we can support each other and know what's going on in each other's lives. I feel like there's real strength there. So when Mm -hmm. we come up with any obstacle in our business, we've got each other's back. Mm -hmm. And we're there for each other. We can celebrate. My grandmother had a Swedish proverb that she taught me years ago. A shared joy is twice the joy, and a shared burden is half the burden. And we live that out at Johnson Mm -hmm. Machine Works. So Mm -hmm. if somebody's going through some trouble, we want to hear about it. Right. Because it lessens it for the person. Right.
0: That's wonderful.
1: But one picture of our company culture, when we had our 100-year anniversary, we invited the whole town and as a Johnson Machine Works family, you know, we just put on this party for the whole town, and there were four thousand people that showed up. Oh it was my goodness! So wonderful. How fun! Yeah,
0: it's the whole town.
1: It was, it was the, <laughs> exactly it's the whole town. So we're real purposeful about that. One example about family that comes to mind: I had an issue recently with my mother who was wrestling with dementia, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, she's passed away from that disease about six months ago. But When I was just in the midst of having to take a lot of time away from work and spend more time with my mother, we had a company meeting one time, and I was up talking about our company culture and how important that was, and I shared with the employees that I wanted to be able to pray for them. So if they had any issues, please let me know. And I told them, okay, I can't ask you to do that without sharing some of my own as well. So I shared with them that my mom was wrestling with dementia, and I got... A little bit emotional about it, I think, and I invited them if anybody knows anything about that, it would be very valuable to me
0: if they uh, would come and talk to you about to hear about mm-hmm. that.
1: That's a little picture of family that's a picture of you know us supporting one another, a picture of a shared joy is twice the joy, shared burdens, half the burden. And I remember after that meeting, one of the welders came up to me while I was walking through the shop and he said, "Jeff, I'm so sorry." <laughs> chokes me up now just thinking about it. He said, Jeff, I'm so sorry um, to hear about your mom. And just that little thing Mm -hmm. told me everything about the heart muscle about our business. Mm -hmm. And I got a lot of people looking at me with kind eyes and patting me on the back and Mm -hmm. doing that sort of thing. But that's what we do for each other. And that's a real part of our company culture. It, It comes from a biblical proverb as well. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Mm-hmm. Kind of fits our steel business. It's, it's your
0: <laughs> business. That's right. Oh, my goodness. Well, it is so true. And I've just so many leaders that I've talked to, Jeff, when they really focus on the culture and people are doing better at work, they do better at home. Mm-hmm. They do better in every part of their life. I mean, it's, you know, work can be a place where, you know, healing can happen, and people. You know, it's the family that—not necessarily you were born into, but you get to choose, right? right. And uh, it's wonderful to have built a culture like that. Yeah. And so, I think Peter Drucker would be very happy with you. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk about this. Let's talk about um, you had the opportunity to do something really special uh, mm-hmm. and spent a whole summer, almost a whole summer in Oxford. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? What yeah. did you do there when you were there?
1: I went to the British Museum. I went to the British Library. I went to every wonderful thing I could think of, looking at relics and listening to professors. and It was fantastic. What had happened is I was living my faith out more and more in the marketplace. And I had people coming up to me and asking me about what was going on, asking me about my faith. They were very intrigued and Mm -hmm. encouraged about it. And I mentioned that to a fellow YPOer, and said, I need to have a response to these people who are asking me about my faith. And he told me about this program in Oxford that was started by Ravi Zacharias International Ministries called the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics said it's a six-week program you go over there you're in a very small group of about a dozen other business leaders vetted from a larger group I'm not sure how large but anyway mm-hmm. and you go over there and you study and you study and you study and you study and that really equips you with being able to give an answer for your faith mm-hmm. and bringing your your ministry into the marketplace in a in an appropriate and bold fashion you know And so I went over there. We moved, Danielle and I moved our four beautiful kids over there, rented a lovely little place. And I had my chin on the floor the whole time I was there. I just couldn't imagine how lucky I was. Mm. But I learned from some of the greatest. It was
0: life-changing for you, wasn't it? Yes.
1: John Lennox and Michael Ramsden and Amy Orr Ewing and Oz Guinness and Ravi Zacharias. And these people were our teachers and it was just incredible the kind of things that we got to learn.
0: Mm. What if some of our listening audience was interested in the Oxford Center for Apologetics? What would they do? I mean, how would they even go about finding out more?
1: Go to rzim.org.
0: Okay. And then search
1: it- on there for the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics and I would encourage everybody to run and go do that. And go it's do the it. most fantastic mm. opportunity.
0: Now yeah. you've got me. Like thinking, hmm, when can I do that? When can I do that? All right. So I want to talk a little bit. You and I are connected through an organization, a global organization mm-hmm. called Young Presidents Organization, and it's been so long now, I don't remember how old you have to be. I don't remember <laughs> any of the specifics. Uh, there's a revenue threshold in that. EO feeds into YPO, and so if people out there are interested in EO or YPO, I think you can just go to YPO.org, mm-hmm. find out more about that. But talking about Talk to me a little bit, Jeff. I mean, how has YPO impacted your business and possibly even your family? Because I know our family has benefited from taking some mission trips and things like that, you know, as a family. So can you talk to us a little bit about YPO?
1: I mentioned earlier that I took over the business when I was 30 years old, very young, and we had some outside board members that were involved with YPO. And they recommended it to me, and I ended up joining in 2000, So I've been in YPO for quite a long time mm-hmm. and got into a small group forum in YPO. So I was able to benchmark, again, that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens right. another. Right. That was so powerful for me to be able to have a ready-made group of like-minded CEOs whose decimal point was in different places, whose life experience was different, male, female. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just different. But they were able to speak with authority into my business and the issues that I was having in an extremely confidential setting. Mm-hmm. And that was so unbelievably viable to me when I was mm-hmm. just learning the business. So that was one thing was the, right. were the forum experiences. The other thing is we, my wife and I, got involved with the Christian Fellowship Network Early on, I think it was in 2003 we went to our first Vision and Values conference. And oh my goodness, how powerful that was. My wife and I went to our very first conference. My son was young at the time. My oldest son, Noel, was very young at the time. And he was sick and had to stay back at the hotel with my wife. And I went to the dinner and mentioned to somebody at the dinner that my son was sick. And the next thing I know, the person at the dais, the speaker, said, We have a little boy who's sick back in his hotel room, and they prayed for my son right there, which was a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. So that was a wonderful thing. But then the Christian Fellowship Network has led me into another forum group with Christian people dotted Mm -hmm. around the country, and I've gained access to all kinds of leaders, thought leaders, theologians, pastors, you know, all that sort of thing. It's mm-hmm. just been a powerful
0: experience. Right, well, it has for us as well. Well, thank you for sharing that. So Jeff, this is something extra. What do you believe is the something extra that every leader needs?
1: Well, I think for me is being authentic and being vulnerable. Do you know what kintsugi pottery is? It's a Japanese pottery where they take these beautiful pots, but before they're finished, they throw it on the ground and they break it. Oh, and then goodness. they put it back together again with gold filigree and a little glue in between the joints. Mm-hmm. And it takes a very normal, beautiful pot, and it turns it into something absolutely unique and gorgeous. And it's like a thumbprint. There's no two that are exactly alike. Mm-hmm. And it's called kintsugi, and it's, it's absolutely gorgeous.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when I think about vulnerability, I think about being transparent. I think about being authentic from a leadership perspective. I think that's something extra.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You take your brokenness. Right. You take the lessons that you've learned from the road that you've traveled, only you have traveled.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You take your all your life experiences. You take all your successes. You take all the things, that all the gifts that God gave you that just makes you you. And that becomes like the gold filigree in this broken pot, mm-hmm. which is a, Beautiful metaphor, I think, because we're all a little bit broken.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> but are. then
1: we're, we're put together to become something beautiful and something unique. Mm-hmm. And from my belief system, I'm the only Jeff Johnson that God ever made in all of human right. existence. Why would I want to try to be anything other than 100% Jeff Johnson?
0: Right.
1: Or as Dr. Seuss said, I'm the U-E-S-U-S that God ever made. I don't know (laughs) if he said that, but something like
0: that. (laughs) Right. Oh, well, that is a beautiful metaphor. And it's so true. And I do believe that people are, I think people yearn for authenticity in other people Mm -hmm. because then they can see sometimes themselves too, right? I mean, if you always look like everything is perfect and you don't, be authentic with your and vulnerable with your weaknesses or the things that you're working on or the things that you're broken. I don't think people can relate to that nearly as well, you know? And so they can say, oh, that person's like me, you know, Mm -hmm. they have struggles too. So I love that, Jeff. I love that. Well, this has been so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) We have had so much fun and I think we can go on for a couple hours, but we're not going to do that to our audience right now. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It was great. It was great. Our show today is executive produced by Brian Muncy. Our technical producer is Daniel Williams. Something Extra with Lisa Nichols is a Technology Partners production. Copyright Technology Partners, Inc. 2019. For show notes or to reach out to Lisa, visit tpi.co slash podcast. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play,
1: or wherever you listen.